0: Dennis Prager here with Julie Hartman, the Dennis and Julie podcast. I just want to tell you, you may know, I might have said this, been broadcasting for almost 40 years, never had a co-host. That's how highly I think of Julie. It's a delight to be with her each week, and I trust you feel similarly. And I thought that was important to say, and I'm going to throw it to you in a second, Julie. I want to know what's on your mind. We can discuss opening the show, opening the broadcast, the podcast. Just want to get your in, uh, in completely spontaneous reaction to the photo I sent you of Donald Trump and me.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, just to clarify for everyone, um, Dennis was at Mar-a-Lago over the weekend um, for the premiere of... Uh, the movie Mule, called?
0: 2,000 Mules.
1: Well... It's certainly, I mean, to have a photo with a former president, that's certainly a big deal. I'm glad that you got that photo. Um, You know, it's interesting. I don't really know how much we can dive into this. I haven't seen the Dinesh D'Souza movie yet, but the way that you talk about it, it sounds very powerful. I really haven't done a lot of um, thinking or research about what happened in the 2020 election. I want to ask you. What, to you, is so compelling about that movie, and why did you decide to be in it?
0: Well, those are two separate questions, actually, because I decided to be in it before I even saw it, really. Uh, not really, before I saw it. So I'll answer part two first. The Salem, uh, co- the Salem talk show hosts, but specifically Eric Metaxas, Seb Gorka, Larry Elder, Charlie Kirk and I were asked uh, to participate in the film and to be completely open with regard to our feelings about the 2020 election. And we, they would open with us and they would close with us and see if there was any metamorphosis I mean, with regard to the election after seeing the evidence in the film. And I opened up saying I was agnostic. I have said that from the beginning. There were too many anomalies uh, with regard to 2020, one of the most powerful being that if it was an honest election, it would be the first time in American history that an incumbent got more votes than he did the first time when he won and still lost. That's, that's dramatic, and I think in this case 10 million so there were many other anomalies that needed to be explained, but that's why I was agnostic. On the other hand, I did not see any proof that there, that there was enough fraud. I, I always assume there's some fraud, especially in Democratic-run places, and I, I didn't think there was enough to, in fact, change the election, or I didn't know that there was enough. Then I saw—and this is to answer part one of your question— This is really uh, dramatic. You see video after video after video after video of what are called mules, people who are paid by somebody, to put ballots in ballot boxes at 3 in the morning. Now, why would people do that if it was honest? And when you see that over and over and multiply it by thousands then you start to think, wow, we seem to have something compelling here with regard to the 2020 elections honesty. So that's that's my right. answer in a nutshell.
1: Well, as I said, I haven't done a lot of research on it, so I'm agnostic as well. But I think one of the points that you make, Dennis, on your radio show a lot that, and that I really agree with is it's not a bad thing to question it. There are enough anomalies where a very good, reasonable person can say, hey, you know, what the heck is going on here? And, but let me just tell you, if you even say anything close to that on the campus that I'm on now, you will just be annihilated.
0: Right. You, you are removed from polite company. Yes. It, it, it's, meanwhile, like, it's like a, a leper.
1: Meanwhile, back in 2016, the Democrats said that the the um, election was rigged and infiltrated by the Russians and that the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians. And if people said that, no one would annihilate them. But now with all of these anomalies, again, I'm not saying that that's affirmative proof that the election was stolen. I do think that um, there was probably some foul play there. I think there's foul play in almost every election. But the point is, I think what's really concerning is that people now who raise concerns on the right are not treated the same as people on the left a few years ago who also raised concerns. And I think a lot of that, Dennis, has to do with January 6th. And I have to say, you know, you, you asked me just a few seconds ago what I thought of the Trump photo. You know, it's so sad because I think Trump was, during his time in office, was one of the best presidents in modern history. I think he did, a lot of really good things even just the other day I was talking with some people um about the First Step Act which was his prison reform act that the left just does not acknowledge that Trump brought into law Trump pardoned Alice Johnson who was an African American woman who I think got a life sentence in prison she just she unfortunately had way longer of a sentence than um, her crime warranted. And she had um, a perfect record of behavior in prison. I think she led a Bible study. She just she was truly exemplary. And Kim Kardashian found her story on Twitter and brought it to President Trump. And to his great credit, he pardoned her, and then he passed the First Step Act. And people on the left just fail to recognize that. They fail to recognize that he moved the American embassy to Jerusalem, and he was one of the biggest pro-Israel supporters. They fail to recognize that um, under his policies, Blacks and Hispanics did incredibly well economically, probably better than any preceding president for decades. And no one will compliment those things. But I will say, and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this, I do think the way that he ended the presidency was disgraceful. I think January, I just remember the video of him on January 6th saying to the people, we love you, go home. I just, I don't think that's right. I don't think a president should be saying to people who have stormed the Capitol that he loves them. What are your thoughts on that?
0: It's a very mixed bag. Uh, Look, it's, it's, I was not happy with any of that. Let me just say, first of all, It happened as I was leaving my own show. So I go 9 to noon Pacific time. So noon was 3 p.m. in Washington, D.C., and it had just happened, the the storming of the Capitol. It just happened, and I condemned it immediately in my my promo uh, for the next day, not hearing anybody else. Every Republican I know condemned it unlike the staggering far more destructive riots of 2020 which were right. virtually never condemned by the left uh, i I tune out I tuned out for four years of for example his tweets I don't think I actually followed any of his tweets which is, Atypical for one who supported him and doubly atypical for one in the media, as I am. I was only interested in what he did, not what he tweeted, not not his form of speech. By the way, he gave one of the greatest speeches in modern American history in Warsaw, Poland, about mm-hmm. Western civilization, which, of course...
1: That was, was a great speech.
0: Yes. Um, amazed. I shouldn't be amazed, but it is remarkable that you even know about it.
1: Well, thanks to you, I know about it. I think you talked about it on your show, and that's how I discovered it.
0: Mm, Well, I'm I'm glad about that, too. So, look, I I thought that, uh, and I may well be wrong, but my instinct was that his preoccupation with the election may have have cost the Republicans Georgia. And I said it at the time. I said he should just be talking about Georgia, not about the election. I said it at the time, and I, I think I turned out to be right. He has been fixated on this, and look, to a certain extent, it's understandable if you truly believe you were cheated out of an election, and you have all these reasons that are not that are not uh, irrational to do so, like those anomalies that that I mentioned earlier, and there are many more than that. I mean, for example, I don't remember how many it is, something like nineteen. 19- swing districts that almost always predict who will win a presidential election
1: bellwether counties yes
0: bellwether counties yes not districts right and and he won i think like 17 of the 19 i mean it's just it's just one after another so uh look i said at the beginning as soon as they called it an insurrection this is the first unarmed insurrection in, in, in the history of insurrections. Uh, uh, please, it, the, they're using it like the, the, uh, the Germans used the, the Reichstag fire to, to, to take more and more power by claiming that they were just saving the country.
1: Hi, this is Julie Hartman from the Dennis Prager and Julie Hartman podcast. As many of you know, I'm finishing my degree at Harvard right now, and I'm very proud of that accomplishment. But I want to tell you about another great college, the King's College in New York City. The combination of affordable tuition and remote learning makes this the perfect opportunity for you to earn your bachelor's degree, wherever you are in life. The King's College can unlock your potential. Visit tkc.edu to find out how you can earn your Christian liberal arts degree online. Don't just go to college, go to King's.
0: Well, I'll tell you what is the most damning, I think. They have thousands of hours of video, the government, the Biden administration, they will not release. Why not? Why can't we see everything that happened that day? Wouldn't you think that the people who called it an insurrection would want the American people to see as much as possible?
1: Look, I mean, I think we can all agree that it was a horrible event. I agree with you. It wasn't an insurrection. I just, going back to Trump, the thing that, that angers me is I just think to myself, again, he did such good as president. Right. And sometimes I think that he just, he really just harms himself. He just needs he to shut har- his No, mind. no,
0: I couldn't agree more. I felt that from the beginning. There
1: are so many people, myself included, who want who wanted to root for him because he did do a lot of good. And one of the things that I really did admire him about him the most, even though I think a lot of his personal behavior was just reprehensible. He had really the unique ability to just look the American people in the eye and look at the media and say, like, I remember one time he was at a rally and he pointed to the back at like CNN and, and all of those uh, liberal news channels. And he went, look, look at you fake news media outlets. And that I have to say, when you watch him do that, it is so invigorating. It feels like such justice. And that was the thing that made him so unique. He was just, he had no shame for better or for worse. And a lot of the times it was for the worse. He had no shame, as we know from that horrible recording when that he said was a locker room talk when he t- bragged about sexually assaulting women. I mean, again, he, there are many bad parts of him, but it, it was a really great thing that he had such courage to do that. And again, I just wish he didn't take it so far. And I think he went too far on January 6th and now I think, you know, coming up in 2024, if he runs again, I don't want him to run again, Dennis. I don't think it would be good for the country. I think the movement needs to be greater than him. And
0: well, I, I, have to say, I, I, don't, I don't trust uh, his right. judgment. I agree with you, in fact. And I, and I, when I met with him for the very brief time I did this week, uh, and I said to him, I thought he was the greatest president since, uh, since Abraham Lincoln, and. That's what I believe. And had we had an hour together and not a minute or two minutes, whatever it was, I, I would have privately said that to him, that the, he could truly achieve greatness if he were not to run and say, I need the country to unite against the woke and the left, which is the same thing and not be preoccupied with me. It right. needs to be preoccupied with the damage being done by the left. If he would say that, mm-hmm. history would record him as, as a great man, it, it, almost like Washington refusing to be king. But he's going to run. And, and uh, look, maybe he won't win the nomination. I, I don't know. I So I, I don't see why it's... All that difficult to chew gum and walk at the same time, to think he was the greatest president of the modern era and not want him to run in 2020, uh, what is it, 2024? Right. It's int- interesting. I don't think, I don't know if we discussed this, but that we have the same vision of it. By the way, we, I finally differ with you. <laughs> I don't think that his private remarks about women matter in the least. Uh, I have a very strong position on this, that what people say in private is of no interest to me. I only care what people say publicly and what people do. If uh, I'm a Jew, if somebody says to his friend, you know, I really can't stand Jews, and never says it publicly and never does anything anti-Jewish in his life, then what do I care? I, I, I view the human being... As a pressure cooker, and uh, if the, if you can't release the pressure innocuously, it will be it will blow up the pressure cooker. You need a release. Private talk is a release. It, there is no human alive who would look great if every single thing they said privately were let out. So that. I I do have very strong beliefs that that did not reveal anything.
1: Well, I agree with you to an extent. I do think that, look, I wouldn't not vote for him because of those remarks. When I heard those remarks, I was sick to my stomach. I thought they were awful. I thought they were disgusting. Um, But at the same time, I can also separate those remarks from him as a politician and him as someone who would do a lot of good as president, and that would not be my reason for not voting for him. A lot of people said, oh, these remarks prove that he's unfit to be president. That's where I disagree. Um, and I and I do hear where you're coming from. I, I agree with you that it matters far more what people do than what they say. And publicly. what they
0: say publicly. Saying publicly say is publicly. very important.
1: Yes. But still, I think we can both agree that those those comments were. Yeah. Well.
0: Okay. So here, uh, (laughs) uh, for for obvious reasons, you have never been in a men's locker room.
1: (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) I'm not sure you would date another man. (laughs) Oh no!
1: Really? Yeah, and it doesn't
0: mean (laughs) anything. That's the point. It doesn't mean anything.
1: Uh, well you know i well so this is interesting i think I, i really i to a large extent understand where you're coming from people behind closed doors say things that are not great everyone does it you need to let off steam sometimes you just need to say things that you don't necessarily believe that's part of human nature but i don't think i don't think it should be dismissed i think i think what you do say i mean there's this I think it's kind of a trite saying that I came across a few years ago, but I do think of it often. It was something along the lines of, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. And sometimes throughout the day, if I encounter someone who I dislike and I have a mean thought about them, sometimes I remind myself, okay, it's not that I... I'm not perfect. It's not that I'm not going to have a mean thought about someone. It's not that I shouldn't have a mean thought about someone, but I'm very careful in my mind with how far I take it because I don't want to train my brain to think that way because I really do think if I start thinking that way, then apropos of the saying, I will speak that way. And if I speak that way, then I'll channel that into action.
0: This Not is, that I would actually right, get look, something, but this, you know what I mean. I, I love this uh, topic. We have, this was completely spontaneous.
1: Yes, I know. Bar, We're still is, going to talk about abortion. Right,
0: but, but I'm actually I'm thrilled because this is so Me real. Too. This is just it so is. real. So, there is, uh, there is a very well known saying in Hebrew, and as you know, and many many of those watching or listening would know, I tended yeshiva, which is intense religious Jewish study, till I was nineteen, and uh, the, half the day was in Hebrew, half was in English. I, I studied basically what one would to become a rabbi, so I studied it a lot. I know Judaism very well, and there is a very famous saying. I'll just say it obviously in English: It is not the thought that counts, but the deed. I was raised on that. And that is one of the things I love about Judaism, that it's so preoccupied with what you do rather than how you think, that it allows the mind to live in great freedom. And I have appreciated that very much. Uh, To take an innocuous example, I have very... Uh, awful thoughts about people who drive slowly in the left lane (laughs) let alone slowly in the diamond lane
1: by the way just for the listeners dennis is an incredibly fast driver i have to expose him here we would drive from the studio to his house after um the radio (laughs) tapings
0: and and it brought brought julie closer to god
1: Oh my God. I called him one time and I, I've never yelled at you. I remember I said, you have to slow down. You're going to kill yourself. What are you doing? Anyways, just had to throw yes, that in there. Yes, I Go understand.
0: On. But, uh, but, uh, I, I totally am at peace with my awful thoughts about slow drivers in, in the left-hand lane. I'll give you a more serious example, but still not, you know, in the realm of evil. And, uh, I try to control my assessments of people who still wear masks because I try to think, well, maybe they're afraid for their elderly grandmother whom they live with, and and that's why they're doing it. So I sometimes try to give them the benefit of the doubt, even though I truly believe that uh, they are truly hypochondriacs. So... uh, but I wouldn't walk over to somebody and say, you're a hypochondriac. I mean, obviously. I, I think that letting the mind go where it wants. Now, if, if your mind goes to molesting children, I agree with you. I mean, there are, there are uh, realms of evil where the mind shouldn't go because who knows what it might lead to. But beyond that, I, uh, I I generally think that the thought issue, like the private speech issue, by the way, I just want to tell you, Julie, so that it, I become, I, I'm as precise as possible, male talk among males, you know, what's called locker room talk, I mean, the, women don't generally, I don't believe, I've never been in a women's locker room, I don't think they talk about men in the same way that Men, it's not disparaging, it's simply sexualizing of, of females that men do more than women do about men, maybe certainly beyond the age of, let's say, 23 or 25. But I will tell you, for whatever it's worth, I didn't speak like this to other guys. And my reason was I had a, a religious upbringing, which did teach me that speech mattered, despite everything that I just said, even private speech. And I also, I had a lot of a lot of dignity, and I never liked to violate my dignity. I know this sounds. I'm being very open to you and to the listeners, but uh, despite what I said about locker room talk, it was not my my form of speech either, but I, I nevertheless, I stand by my original statement that overwhelmingly what people say in private is not something we, the rest of us should judge. What he said was when you get famous or something like that, I don't remember the exact quote. You can
1: do whatever you want.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, no, no, no. They let you do whatever you want. That's very important. People forget that. And by the way, there's a lot of truth to that. Women are very seduced by fame and by power and by money. Fame, power, and money uh, does to women, for the most part, what beauty does to men. And uh, ironically, what he said was not untrue. Why, why do uh, athletes have groupies waiting for them outside their, uh, their locker rooms? after they leave the game
1: have you ever noticed the towels just don't seem to dry you anymore they feel soft and lotiony in the stores but when you get them at home they just don't absorb well mike lindell at my pillow wanted to fix this problem and he founded one of the best towel companies right here in the united states they use proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft and actually work they're all made with USA cotton and they come with the My Pillow 60-day money back guarantee. You can get a 6-piece set Two bath, two hand towels, and two washcloths. Again, all made with USA cotton that are regularly $109, but now just $39.99. Just go to mypillow.com and click on the radio listener specials and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels. Enter the promo code HARTMAN, that's my last name, H A R T M A N, to get your discount. Or call 1 800 And enter the promo code Hartman. Well, you said, you said a few, sorry, sorry, go on. No,
0: no, 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 go on.
1: I was just going to say, you said a few seconds ago, you know, I, if someone's thinking about molesting a child, that's one thing they shouldn't be thinking that, but isn't there no difference between thinking about molesting a child and thinking about molesting an adult? I mean, obviously I think it's, it's a bit worse to molest a child because a child is truly defenseless. But what what is the difference there?
0: Well, well, as I said, it's not really what he said. He said they let you.
1: Well, then he said that
0: he can grab them by the you know what. And they let you.
1: Right, but that but that's not okay. No,
0: okay, it's a- the issue. If, but he doesn't. But to the best of my knowledge, he wasn't doing it. I mean, if he did it, then he he should be charged with with sexual violence, obviously. So what if he
1: said? What if he said, "Well, you know, when you're an adult, children let you do whatever they want."
0: Well, children, but children are not are children are not adults. Want, so sorry. we we clearly we as you pointed out we we can't make a parallel. Children will let you do whatever they want, but children are not the deciders of what is done to them. So All right,
1: but I think I think a what I mean. I think also if a woman is is being taken advantage of, they're not the deciders. How do
0: you know, in in his scenario of a very famous, very powerful, very wealthy man, and his claim that, you know, you can grab them where you want and they let you do it. So, first of all, of course a lot of women wouldn't. And to the best of my knowledge, uh, he has not been found guilty of ever doing that. I mean, women make charges, but but that's that's not here or there. Sometimes it's, they're true. Sometimes they're not true. Most famous man in the world is going to be uh, probably lied about on occasion. But we have no evidence that he actually did that, or we have no proof, certainly, that he ever did that. No, none of us would defend him if he did do that. But his claim well, was that if you reach a certain level of fame and, and power and fortune— that you can grab them. Now it's it's vulgar, it's coarse, it's all of those things, but it's a private statement, and it's not completely false. So I, I you know I, I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> there the our difference here is partially uh, male female male. It's a very difficult subject. I'm one of the few who publicly really addresses it, honestly. Male sexuality is pretty much animalistic. And that is why if your husband or boyfriend uh, is an honorable man in the sexual realm, you have found a good man. It, when, when men are free t- to act upon their nature, it's a very unpretty scene. That's why parents know you have to train boys to control two things, their, their violent nature and their sexual predatory nature. Those are not two things you have to teach girls. You have to teach girls to control their emotional nature, which very few parents do. They think girls are sweethearts. But yes, I fully acknowledge that this is male nature, and that's why a good man Is is a treasure, so, but I but I do believe that that's part of why we're not in complete accord here.
1: Well, I think it's very interesting, and I agree with you that men have to control their violent and sexual natures. What are the things that you think women have to control? What are the counterparts for females?
0: Well, we're seeing it. uh, I think we're seeing the results of of girls being treated uh, as princesses and not being told to control. I mean, the, the number of hysterical women in this society is very scary. Very scary. I remember the, when, uh, was it Was it the Kavanaugh hearings? Or I don't remember. I think it was. And the, these women were screaming, I mean, just screaming like they were being tortured, banging on the Supreme Court doors. And then all of these, the females involved, uh, in in so many of the protests uh, and screaming, uh, I t- I looked at pictures of many of these BLM protests, and it always seemed in every picture I saw, w- young women outnumbered men, and the the number of women. I mean there's this, there's this this is ironically what you were going to talk about when we didn't say a word about right, it right right but there's hysteria on the part of a lot of women on the abortion issue. It's hysteria. I totally understand why a person would be pro-choice. Well, I don't totally. I take that back. I mean, if you're for pro-choice through the ninth month, I don't understand right there is no, There's no moral basis for that position, but it's true there's hysteria. So women women need to control it, it, their, their hormones like men have to control their hormones, but they both express themselves in different ways. men through violence and, and sexual predatory behavior, women through irrationality and hysteria. that's why, that's why their emotions, yes, that, that, that's why you know hysteria comes uh, from, uh, from the uterus. The, you know, like a hysterectomy is the removal of a uterus. Hysteria is identified with the female.
1: That's fascinating. I think you're right about that.
0: The Look, the, the greatest battle in life is with yourself. Everybody who knows that is a better person than the people who don't know that. It is the core problem for the left. I was yes. in a religious school... And like kids who are in a religious Christian school, you're taught that the thing you have to most control is you. You are the source of your problems, and the left teaches kids that America is the source of their problems. Folks, you've known it in your gut that something just wasn't right about the 2020 election, and now you will have something pretty close to proof. In Dinesh D'Souza's explosive new documentary, 2,000 Mules, you'll see jaw-dropping evidence of exactly how the Democrats cheated during the election. Now, I don't know if it made the difference. It might well have. You can't believe it was a fully honest election after you see this film. Drawing on meticulous research from election integrity group True the Vote, 2000 Mules uses both cell phone geo-tracking data and video evidence to uncover a massive network of illegal ballot trafficking in all five key swing states. Thousands across the country attended the nationwide theatrical release. Now you can watch from the comfort of your own home. Watch on any device with a web browser. See the movie that President Donald Trump calls a real blockbuster. Go to SalemNow.com to watch today. That's SalemNow.com, sponsored by Salem Media Group.
1: You're right that one of the principal features of the left is that they externalize things. The other day, I was walking down the street, and I saw a car parked outside of one of the dorms, and there was this bumper sticker on it that said, fight racism, fight sexism, fight homophobia. And I thought that that was so interesting, because, again, it's, it's externalizing things. The religious or conservative equivalent of that bumper sticker would be, fight yourself. Fight
0: yeah, yeah, your homophobia. Yeah, inter- that's, it, that's it. That's everything. In a nutshell, that's everything. See on the left you feel moral by saying how crappy others are. Yes. In in, in Judeo-Christian teaching you you know how crappy your nature is. It's mm-hmm. a, it's it's 100% it's 180 degrees different. Yes. Yeah, well, fight fight homophobia. Where where exactly is the homophobia today? how how come i don't i don't uh, you know uh, i i am still for the belief that marriage is between a man and a woman but i i am the my wife and i are godparents to a gay couple's children in other words if they die we are their moral instructors now why would a gay couple allow a guy who believes that marriage is male female and they're married to have me because they know they know there isn't an ounce of homophobia in me I believe in an ideal. I, I have a biblical belief the ideal is that man and a woman marry. So therefore what? That makes me homophobic? Yes, to to the simpletons, and every leftist is a simpleton. That right. makes you homophobic. You you can't have a position with which they differ. So I, I'm curious, if I say that it's ideal for a child to have a mother and father, am I am I single parent phobic? I married a single mother. I, right. it, it, it's the, the, it. you become a simpleton the day you accept any leftist position
1: well it's so interesting because I actually had a conversation the other day with one of my roommates um, about the presence of racism and I said she was talking about it's so funny because I, I hear a lot of people on this campus they talk about the south like it's a foreign country or like we're in the Middle Ages or something. They love to like make Southern people, Southern conservatives, conservatives, excuse me, into caricatures. And we we're having this debate. And I said, you know, of course, I think racism exists. Of course, I think homophobia exists, all these terrible things. Of course, I do. But we talk about them like they are everywhere. And I said to her, with all due respect, have you ever witnessed racism? Have you ever witnessed homophobia, and she said, well, there are all these people in the South that believe that blacks are inherently inferior. And I said to her again, have you personally encountered them in your 22 years of life? Have you encountered them? And that's the question that I go around and ask people whenever they bring up these things that they claim to be so prevalent I bring it back to them, and I go, "Okay, well, if it's so prevalent, please tell me an instance where you have seen this." And they can never, ever, ever provide it.
0: Was this a white, was it, was she white or black? She's white. So you, I have had this with black callers all of my career, where somebody will call me and say, "Dennis, I'm black, and I want you to know, you know, you you don't walk in our shoes, which I don't walk in anybody else's shoes, so right. that doesn't mean anything." Oh, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep hitting my microphone. And uh, you don't realize, Dennis, that every day we experience racism. So I've had a standard answer for, for decades. I say, okay, I, I, I hear you and I trust you, so I will trust you with your answer. Tell me the racist incident that you experienced today. Invariably, the answer is, well, the day isn't over yet. So I go, okay, fine. Yesterday is over. Tell me the racist incident you experienced yesterday. And they can't. And I go, the last week. And they can't. Or, or on, on rare occasions, I will get uh, the, the rude treatment that somebody in a store gave me. And I'll say, how do you know it's because you're black? How do you know they're just not rude? I'm treated rudely on occasion, and I'm white. Right. And they don't know that. But they have been, I think it's a matter of being taught that should there be any tension between you and a non-black, it is because of racism. George Floyd was not killed because of racism. And, and that is Keith Ellenson's position. The left-wing... Black activist attorney general of Minnesota said it was not racist. That's why we didn't charge uh, Derek Chauvin with racism. But nobody knows that. We had riots for for half a year because of a lie. A lie.
1: Well, Derek Chauvin and George Floyd knew each other before, weren't they? bouncers together at a nightclub, <laughs> or they, you know, they work somewhere together, and they, um, right. they had a contentious relationship. And I had a debate with someone about this. And, and they said, well, again, you know, of course, it's because Lloyd was black. And I said, well, is it possible that they just didn't like each other from a person to person level, as opposed to a white man versus black man level? It's inconceivable to people on the left that, that you could have disagreements that are not rooted in someone's identity.
0: What is it going to be like for you to go from an environment where almost nobody agrees with you <laughs> to an <laughs> environment think... where we all agree with you?
1: <laughs> well I'm going to throw that back to you, Dennis, because yeah. you had that you went to Brooklyn College in Columbia and you talked to me all the time about how lonely you felt in these places and then you entered the conservative religious media world. So you tell me what is that transition like and how and this is this is also a question I'll add on top of this because I think about this. As much as I dislike being in an environment where I am the only one, one I shouldn't say the only one, one of the only ones with my values, I do think it makes me better because constantly every single day I am challenged. And it, that allows me to sharpen my points of view, to clarify things, to see problems. It's been invaluable to this podcast and I do worry that when I when I go into the conservative media space, although people of course are very nuanced and we we talk about the other side a lot. You know, it, I, I know I'm going to be around people um, who overwhelmingly agree with me. So how do you maintain the the, the awareness of the other side?
0: Well, I I like maintain that? the awareness of the other side through through the media. I I spend at least right. half my time reading stuff that I don't agree with and a, a fair amount of time reading stuff that just attacks me personally. So I, I'm... I'm in that world a lot, by the way, just for your edification, and I don't think there would be any way you would know this, until much later in my life, I never had a community. I had individuals, but I never had a community that agreed with me. This is new. Like when you come here and you'll have folks at Salem and at PragerU, there is a community ready made for your values but I never had that I fought alone pretty much most of my life I was not fully alone because I had so many wonderful friends many of whom you know but I I never had a community I didn't have one obviously at college as you don't but even after that I was brought out to California to, to head a very large Jewish institution at the age of 25 and the the board of directors couldn't stand me. I was incredibly successful at the work. I I sort of I think I tripled the membership. We had a thousand people come out all the way to Simi Valley, California from from LA uh for a uh, Sabbath afternoon lectures and dinner and it was it was an amazing thing. And I had college students come in the summer one for July, four weeks. One for August, four weeks. But they couldn't stand me because they were all liberal. I, I, I have fought all of my life. And it's fine. I don't have, I'm not, this is not a complaint in the least. But I didn't have a community like, thank God, you will have when you come back to, to California. Ironically, California of all places has, has this thriving conservative community so i i uh I really have fought, and it uh, you're right about it strengthening you. What is Nietzsche's line that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger mm-hmm. It's usually true, but it's not always true. There are things that don't kill people that that are weakening, but that's a separate subject well. We did finally get in a little bit of what you actually had anticipated, but this yeah. was this was just uh, a joy. Folks, you're uh, always- if you're uh, watching or listening, all I ask you is to please forward these uh, broadcasts or these podcasts, I should say, I'm, I'm always thinking radio terms, uh, to uh, friends and especially young people, because... Uh, what is said is so relevant to their lives and especially coming from people of such different generations. It's good stuff, Jules. And Great t- stuff. Yeah, tell people how to reach you.
1: Yes, you can reach me at julie hyphen hartmancom Last episode, I told you all that I had a uh, listener email me that when I've been talking about my website, I've been saying julie-hartman.com. And it's julie-hartman.com. So thank you very much to whoever told me that. And please write in with your questions. We do get a lot of them. And I know I say this every time we'll have to talk about some of them next time. But Dennis, it's a good thing, but we always just have too much to cover in this
0: that's exactly right yes and they get longer each week they do (laughs) as a result okay great to be with you